This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into another episode of PXP Cast, Play by Play Cast. My name is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development pod that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. And while it is very March Madnessy right now, we continue our focus on baseball. Spring training is also going on. It's one of those things where depending on what your world is in this business, you're, you're living a very different life at the moment. <laughs> Some of us are engaged in college basketball frenzy. Uh, I detailed last week you know, what my last week has now been like, uh, going to Pittsburgh and then Vegas, and right now I'm sitting here in Cleveland, Ohio for the Mid-American Conference Tournament. Uh, but if you're a baseball person, like you might be kicking up in Florida right now. Day game at noon. That thing's over. Got to kill some time. Once you get to about five o'clock, roll to the beach, wake up, do it all over again the next day. Very different mindset with the start of baseball season rolling around. Um, Personally for me, start of my baseball season is next Tuesday when Ball State takes on Purdue. So uh, as I've said a couple of times, wanted to start to get myself into a baseball on television mindset because for me, it's something I've never done before. That's why Carl Ravitch was our guest last week to dive into his experiences at ESPN, and it's why Rich Waltz is our guest this week. I actually met Rich two days ago. We taped this podcast two weeks ago. Uh, I had reached out to Rich on a, on a whim, asked if he wanted to be a guest on the show, and then it turns out I was doing the women's tournament uh, for CBS Sports Network for the Mountain West. He was doing the men's, so we, we met at a casino. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Andrew Catalan was there, and he, he brings me over and goes, Rich, this is Joel. You're going to be on his podcast. <laughs> and after about a two-second pause, um, we all realized who each other was or who each other were. Um, but had a good conversation with Rich then. Uh, got carded by a bouncer who looked at my ID and then said, wow, good for you, and handed it back to me. So uh, Father Time is still on my side. Um <laughs> But uh, it was fun to talk to Rich and meet him in person, and it was really fun to talk to Rich and do this podcast as well. Uh, it is one of the cooler, nichiest pods we've done. Like, we really get into the how-to of calling baseball, um, and it was fun. Like, you're going to enjoy this if you're a baseball guy. If you're not a baseball guy, uh, you're going to really get a kick out of this conversation. Uh, if you don't know who Rich is, I uh, spent the longest of times as the voice of the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins, on television and uh, now does a ton of different things with CBS Sports Network and a whole, def- a whole bunch of different outlets, uh, MLB Network as well, he was involved with last year, uh, filled in for John Miller um, for a little bit last year with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Rich Walls is one of the guys who has been around the block in baseball, uh, one of the really good ones as well. Uh, so let's dive right into it. With Rich Waltz, uh, he is our guest on episode number, I knew I was going to back myself into that corner, uh, 143 of Play by Play Cast. Take a listen. <laughs> Well, it's great to be on the podcast. And if you're, if you want to start with baseball on television, I think any play-by-play announcer learns when you switch from radio to TV that 
radio is descriptive and television is narrative and there's some description in the narrative, but uh, you're essentially following along with everybody who's watching. So whatever's on the, the screen at home, uh, that's how you have to you know, call the play or call what's happening through that. You can't, you can't wander off and, 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 and say something's happening out in right field or there's a, a commotion in the dugout when the picture or the, the cameras are not there. Because then people will be saying, well, why, why is that person talking about something that I can't see? So I, I think the challenge for, um, for someone that's done a lot of radio on television, when, when you get to television, is, is it's narrative. And there's a lot of things that are redundant if you are descriptive because people can see that. Um, and so you have to, want, number one, there's a lot less talking in terms of uh, amount of words. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, it's any easier. It doesn't mean that uh, it's any harder. It's just different. There's, there's just different skills. The ability to put a caption to um, a picture is important. You still call plays while watching the field and, and, and like you would on, on radio, but you don't have to be as uh, descriptive in describing um, exactly where the ball is going, um, ex exactly where the, the, the fielder is or, or the runner is because people can see that. So uh, it's, it's a little more relaxed, but it, 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 you really have to make your words count on television. Um, you have to use an economy of words and, and they have to really fit or else it, there's too much verbiage. There's too many words and, um, and that gets in the way. It's, it lends itself, I think television lends itself much more to um, conversation and probably puts more emphasis on the analyst. It gives the analyst more time because as, if you're on radio with an analyst, that analyst has to be in and out before the pitch is thrown. And, uh, you know, there's a lot less room for the analyst. Whereas in television, there's an opportunity for the analyst to teach, um, and inform both because there's more room and because you have pictures and replays and, and tools, uh, to do that. Easier to fall into that, that description trap too. If you're doing baseball on TV versus basketball on television or other sports where maybe time is, uh, less, uh, plentiful. Well, um, yeah, I think you, I think you have to make a conscious effort when you move from radio to television and the reverse is true too. Um, I was reminded of that last, this last summer I filled in, uh, for the giants mm -hmm. on, on both radio and TV and, and their format, you literally changed in the middle of the game from uh, radio to television and then television back to radio. And that is all you just, when you walk into the radio booth, at least I try to just remind myself, nobody can see what you're talking about. So you have to describe everything um, and have that flowing conversation that people are used to because baseball is, is so relaxed. And then when you, you make the move from radio over to television, you have to remember not only uh, do you have an analyst that's got more room, but all of a sudden the crowd is is and the noise of the crowd is, uh, I think, a bigger part on television than it is uh, on radio. And you've got to give the game room to breathe uh, on television, uh, in my opinion. And look, I'm sure with, with anyone that's been on the podcast or anyone that 
talks about broadcasting or broadcasters, it's subjective. Everybody has their taste. Some people could, it's like walking the Baskin Robbins. You and I could walk in and you would want <laughs> mint chip and I, I'd want strawberry or whatever. And, and neither of us is wrong. It's just, that's, that's what we want. And that's what we like. How'd you like doing both in one game? Uh, I had done it before. Um, you know, I came up, uh, I was a college baseball player and so I didn't really study broadcasting and uh, found my way to the minor leagues to be a broadcaster. So I came up, spent six years in, in minor league baseball and uh, four years in minor league hockey, which really was for me great. It was essentially graduate school or, you know, the way, the way I learned how to um, call games. And so uh, I ended up in Seattle. My first job out in the big leagues was as a pre and post game on radio that turned into um, pregame television and fill in play by play. And when I, and the, the Mariners at that time um, rotated their guys like the old school, when teams had only 20 or 30 games on television, they still did it, even though they had, you know, 140 or whatever on. And that was you. Uh, the, the Mariners' rotation was you would start the game on television, do the first four and a half on TV, and then hop over and do the last four and a half on radio. So uh, being able to do that in the middle of a game early in my career in Seattle really helped. Uh, I, I didn't have to do that in Miami. It, I was the um, I was the lead television play-by-play, uh, -play, and so I, I didn't have to slide back in. But every now and then I would get a a call to do like a college football game or, or uh, something like that on radio. So that was a, a quick reminder. Uh, it's, it's weird. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the challenges when you do switch in the middle of a game is that you don't tell the same stories yeah. or, or uh, you know, unload your cannon on, you know, it's like, you just don't want to be repetitive. Um, and the other, the weird thing is, and I don't know how you fix this other than have a quick conversation in the hallway with, John Miller or Dave Niehaus or whoever you're, you're switching with, what did you talk about? What, what, you know, what, and you stay away from that because you don't want to talk about the same thing that uh, the other announcer did. So it, it's a difficult thing. And I think a few, a very few teams do it now because of that. How'd you, what was the education like? How did you learn how to do this all once you ventured out and you were doing minor league uh, baseball and hockey? Um, who'd you learn from and, and how'd you learn it? Well, I was, you know, I wanted to play um, and I was a good college shortstop and didn't get drafted. And rather than go to law school, I, I just had this burning desire to get to the big leagues. And I decided you know, I looked around at what jobs there were in the big leagues. And at that time, I'm a, I was just a little old, uh, older than the, um, you know, when Billy Bean and, and all of a sudden some of the, the Ivy League guys who weren't minor league or major league players started to run things in front offices and stuff. So I decided, hey, bro, I can get there as a broadcaster, and I was stupid enough to think that I could do it. I had no idea how hard it would be and what the odds were. And um, I did a little bit of stuff on the student station. At, I, w I went to UC Davis. That's where I played. And just got enough uh, of a little bit of football and basketball on the student station tape, not knowing it at all what I was doing, and, and talked my way into a minor league hockey job in Spokane, Washington. Once I got there, it was – you know, essentially do the game, uh, whether it was hockey or, or minor league baseball. And, and then I did uh, Eastern Washington football and basketball while I was there as well as do the game, listen to the tape. What do you like? What don't you like? Um, and find some people in the, in the business that you 
don't want to imitate, but you want to emulate that, that they, there are certain things that that announcer does that you like that fits with your style um, or that they, there's a practice that they do that, that really you like and, and learn from it and maybe try to incorporate it. And then look, when you're doing minor league baseball and making absolutely no money um, and riding the buses and doing all that stuff, you're motivated to get the heck out of there. And, and for me, I just leaned on all of my experience as an athlete, um, both in college and, and in high school and in the other sports, um, football and basketball. And that was, how do I get better? And how do I, you know, the only way I can advance, I could advance as an athlete to get playing time was to get better, was to be better than uh, my competition in practice and in games. And, and to do that, you had to work at the, at the skills that you lacked. And so, you know, I was pretty realistic as an athlete when you talk to a coach or a, a scout or whatever and say, what don't I have? What do I need to do better? And that's kind of the approach that I took in, uh, in the minor leagues. And I, you know, there were a few broadcasters that I liked that uh, listened to tapes and sent um, critiques in. And then once I got into uh, regional television, it was the same thing. You find producers um, or executives or even announcers that you trust and, um, and, and send them your stuff and say, Hey, give me uh, just some thoughts and things I can clean up things you like. I think that's important too, when you're asking for a critique as a young broadcaster is not only what, what can I do better, but what do you like so that you don't change that so that you, you, re you recognize this is good. I do this well and you can move on. And then, you know, every night I tried to get better every night. It was, I'm working on, uh, being a little more descriptive of pitches tonight. I'm working on um, being able to weave a story in and out tonight. I'm working on um, having a little more personal information on the player. And, and when, once you get better at something, you move on to the next, that that's, that's the only way that I, I, I you know, look, I had absolutely no connections in the business. Um, I didn't go to a school that produced broadcasters, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends in the business. So my, the only thing that I could think of to advance would be just get better and just try to just try to get better and be ready if, and when you got an opportunity to move up. And um, I've, you know, so far, so, so far, so good. As a former player, um, that part of it intrigues me just from the standpoint of like, I never, I played baseball until I was in ninth grade and I was terrible. Um, like what is a, what's a high, high-end level baseball player or professional baseball player think of like what do we miss as broadcasters in their eyes that that would maybe paint the game in a better picture that that players see or people close to the game see that that maybe we don't initially um i think the one thing you learn as look you know my experience as a player really has helped me in all the sports that I broadcast, especially baseball, because of, that's where I was, at, that's where I went the highest as a, as an athlete. But the th one thing I, I've always felt and, and have always practiced is, especially when doing baseball, nobody wants to hear me talk strategy. Nobody wants to hear me talk about a daylight play at second base or how to hold the slider or how do you hit, hit a ball to right field or all those things that, you know, certainly rudimentary knowledge I have in terms of having to do it. Sure. 
the 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 person sitting next to you is is the one that but it it it, it has helped me immensely know how to dig that out of an analyst know know what questions to ask um terminology um and the you know the other thing that uh, was really helpful to me was all, all of the managers and the coaches that I was with in the minor leagues I asked a ton of questions um and learned more about the game in terms of managing. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Um, what did you think about before you did that? And even in the big leagues, in, in my time with Lou Pinella in Seattle and, and the different managers in Miami, the one thing that was really, um, I think that a lot of broadcasters maybe don't realize, um, and I'm sure, a lot, and most fans don't realize either, is all the things that go into a decision uh, whether it's uh, to change your de- change your defense in basketball, um, uh, hit and run, pinch hit, do something in baseball. When you talk to a manager, uh, oftentimes if you're doing a game uh, for a team, games for a team on a daily basis, uh, the cool thing is the next day, if you have a good relationship with the manager, you can go into the manager's office and and ask Don Mattingly or Jack McKeon or Lou Pinella, what went into your decision? You know, you don't want to say what the, what the hell were you thinking in the, <laughs> in the eighth inning? Uh, but, you know, what went into that decision in the eighth inning? Because if it didn't work out, uh, that manager that night from all of the media, the questions were, why did you bunt? Why didn't you run? Why did you pinch hit for uh, Olerud? Why, you know, why? And the manager doesn't really have time or doesn't think to, uh, doesn't really want to, tell everybody why because the the guy that he was out there was sick the guy that was out there um jammed his thumb sliding into second base um they didn't want to bunt because the next guy up was uh was wasn't a good matchup there's like seven or eight things that go into uh making a move in baseball that i think i i think on a lot of broadcasts you just scratch the surface of and fans or, or young broadcasters don't know that uh, my partner in Miami, Tommy Hutton, taught me uh, a great way to, to do it. He said, you don't second guess a manager. You first guess a manager. So before the play happens, while the decision is being made, you give all of the choices and you um, and you give all of the pluses and the minuses. Uh, well, he could bring the lefty in here. Uh, if he does that, though, uh, the Braves have got Jeff Francoeur on, on the end of their bench, uh, and he eats lefties alive. Um, or you could you could stay with the righty, but if you stay with the righty, Nick Markakis is red hot. So um, by first guessing, you give uh, all the options that a manager can do, why he would do one thing, why he might not do another, and and the result oftentimes answers whatever questions you have. So I, I'm sorry that was a long-winded way to get no, through that. No, that was perfect. But, um, and I didn't even the, the the stuff about first guessing is is awesome too because I feel like I, I think a lot of times as broadcasters we often think about you know you, how how you analyze a situation, especially when you work by yourself and you don't have that person next to you. Um, but instead of suggesting, well, this is what you've got to do here is just laying out all of the potential options and seeing where it goes and kind of treating it as like one of those create your own adventure books, I think is really interesting. Right. And the, and the important thing too, is if you're, if you're the voice of a team, 
is the next day, many people that are listening or watching your game uh, tonight watched last night's game, and they want to know, um, you know, why didn't you run with uh, with Hanley Ramirez in the eighth inning when you needed a run and Hanley had stolen 12 straight bases or um, – why didn't you bunt with the pitcher up there? Why didn't you do this? And the thing that you find out the next day when you talk to the manager, it can be as simple as uh, a player didn't know the signs or a player missed the signs. Now, the manager doesn't want you to talk about that because yeah. he doesn't doesn't want to bury the player. But sometimes it's some of the it, it, sometimes um, it, it's things that you never thought of, and it's the simplest things. But I think the important thing is the next day when that player comes up, if you've got the insight on what happened last night with strategy or why a manager did something, that's a great story to tell. That's the, that's the stuff that um, oftentimes you don't read in the newspaper and oftentimes uh, people don't have. I, I, one of the things that's changed in our industry over the last uh, seven uh, to 10 years is that anyone sitting at home watching a game, whether it's college basketball, NBA, major league baseball, uh, college football, they have as much access to all of the stats and all the information that you do. In fact, they can get there faster than you can because you're calling the game. But what they don't have is the access. They don't have the ability um, to go talk to, uh, a Kyle Seeger and, and find out what happened during that at bat or what happened on the bang, bang play at third base. They don't have the ability to go talk to Chuck Hernandez, a, the a pitching coach of the Braves and find out and find out uh, what his starter throws or what he's been working on in, in the bullpen. They don't have the ability to go talk to uh, the opposing manager and find out what he thinks of your players. Um, that's a, I think that's, that's the stuff that for me, and, and again, it's all subjective, but for me, that's the stuff that fills up my spotting chart, scorebook, um, boards for basketball, rather than this guy shoots 40% in the last three minutes of a game, or he's averaging two assists a game and two rebounds a game. Um, I want to know why is he in the game at this point? What does he do well? What does his coach think of him? What, what's his, you know, what's he done in this spot in terms of uh, has he had any big moments in, a, in another game? That's the stuff that um, viewers and, and, and listeners don't have access to. How do you get that information uh, efficiently from the standpoint of, like if we're doing a baseball game and you've got 25 guys and you want to know, minutia about 25 guys or you're doing a basketball game and you've got 12 guys and to not have to sit down with a coach and get a little something on everybody like what's the best approach to to tackle it so you've got your your arsenal loaded um but at the same time you've you've also done it in an efficient manner for for your time and everyone else's well um i don't know obviously you have to be efficient, but I mean, for instance, I did a college basketball game last night, Cincinnati at SMU. And literally uh, I sat with Mick Cronin and Dan Dickow, my analyst, and we went through his uh, um, roster when he went, I went through his starters and his first couple bench players. And then, and then from the sports information director and from assistant coach, we also got some information on other players. What do they do? Well, 
what's their, you know, when, when this guy's getting 10 minutes a game, what are you looking for from him? Gotcha. Is it, re- is it rebounding? Is it defense? Um, what, you know, Jaron Cumberland has been in a shooting slump for Cincinnati. Want to know why? Okay. Ask Mick Cronin what's, what's been going on. And, you know, Mick Cronin's answer was he's been getting the daylight speed out of him. You know, defenses have been hanging on him. Defenses have been, you know, chipping him and, and really physical with him. And that's kind of knocked him off of his game. So you look for that. Now you've got that information. Now you start looking for that in the game. So for basketball, it's, I mean, that's, that's how I do it. I literally go to shoot around and talk to the coaches. If the, if the head coach is, is a guy that has time and, and I'll, I want a little something about each player from that coach. What do you like? What's he working on? What's he mean to your team? If that coach doesn't have a lot of time, then an assistant coach will give that to you. Gladly will we'll give that to you as well. And, and, and a good sports information director can connect dots as well. Baseball-wise, I always liked, um, for a major league game, I like to do a one sheet with uh, you know the 11 or 12 position players on it with their age, uh, their college or their hometown, awards, uh, year they had last year you know, nuggets about their career and such. And then I'll go through the notes and highlight anything that's uh, of late. He's hitting eight of his last nine. He's over his last 19. Sometimes I'll jot that down onto my score sheet. Sometimes I'll just keep the notes there with the highlighted stuff and know where to get it. Um, And then that's in preparation for the game. But then, you know, go down and talk to the hitting coach uh, about, hey, this guy's hot. What's he doing well? Um, this guy's struggling. You know, the, one of the questions you always get is what do you do when you are um, the team that you're covering uh, has got a player that's struggling and, and hurting the team or, or, or you know, really, and it, how do you handle that? Um, it's hard because you have to report that he's 0 for his last five uh, or, or 0 for, he's 0 for five tonight and 0 for his last 15. That's part of the story, right? Um, you, you've got to do that, but rather than just keep burying the guy with, with numbers like that, I think it's incumbent upon you. And I think fans want to know why is he struggling? Go talk to the hitting coach, go talk to the player and say, Hey, you know, I know you're struggling. I've seen you, you know, when you're hot and, and obviously you're struggling, anything that you're working on, anything that we should look for tonight. If you have a good relationship with the player, the player oftentimes will tell you that. Um, but the hitting coach will tell you that too. Um, or he'll tell you, hey, I remember when Stanton would get in those funks of, of chasing breaking balls. Um, you know, one of the drills they would do is he, he would not take live batting practice. He'd just uh, go into the cage. He'd turn the, uh, the jugs gun on that, that threw sliders, and he'd have them just feed slider, slider, slider. And every now and then when one crept over the plate, he'd bang it. And he would do that constantly to get himself out of that. Well, that, that became part of his story whenever he would struggle – you immediately would go to uh, a Frank Manichino or uh, a Barry Bonds or whoever was working with him at the time and find out, hey, are you guys doing that drill? What are the, what are the things that you see? Um, so that you can, you know, because pitchers go through slumps and hitters go through slumps and, and the ability to uh, relate to everybody what exactly that hitter is struggling with or what they're trying to do to get out of it that helps set the stage for when they do get out of it. When all of a sudden you see a guy hit a ball to right field or hit a ball hard on the ground or just make solid contact or even take a great walk uh, and see the ball better, 
that gives you a, 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 that that feeds into that storyline of, of that player trying to bounce back. Wanted to pick your brain about the the, the physical calling of the game too, um, and I the the thing that stuck out immediately is I mean if, if you Google your name your your interview on um, MLB Network pops up where they play the the clip of Chris Russo you know giving you five stars on the um, play where where uh, I guess then Mike Stanton comes around and scores, um, and they talked about being basically very no frillsy. Uh, in in a positive way of like, listen, it's it's detailed, it's accurate, but there's nothing um, exceptional about it that that makes it like this flowery, awesome thing. It's just like I got the information I needed. I got the energy I needed, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and it was perfect. Um, and then like you can flip through on Twitter and find other calls of yours that are just the same. Like, here's the deal. Um where did that, and this goes back, I guess, a little bit to what we talked about with the, the, the work in the, in the minor leagues, but where did that come from of like not needing the desire to say the, the thing that's going to get clipped and put on sports center, but to say the thing that's right in the moment? Um, well, I think if you say the thing that's right in the moment and you say it in the right way, it'll make its way onto uh sports center or Chris Russo, Chris Russo show. So I would I would differ with you on that. I, I would think if you nail the call Fair. and you get and you give it the proper amount of emotion and if you if you give it the proper amount of crowd noise and, and all of that, uh, I think it will stand out. I, I think it stands out for that reason that you that you've nailed it. You gave it the proper you know, the emotion has to be in context. You can't be emotional about a home run that puts your team up six to nothing. Uh, you ha- you can't have the same emotion as you do in a in a play like that, which was, I believe, a walk off. I think. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean that's the ultimate play, and I think that was a ball in the gap too. So it's like that's a that's a, a play where they um, the suspense builds. So, you know, ball off the bat, the game's on the line. It's in the gap. Is he going to score? Who gets to the ball first in the outfield? Um, are they going to send him? They're sending him. Here comes the relay throw. So all of those things are, you have to give that proper context to build to your, um, to the outcome. And the outcome is going to be, uh, incredible one way or the other. If he's out, I'm never a guy. And I, again, it's all subjective. I do not like the call where my dog died. You know, someone, you know, like if he's thrown out in that case to me, the, the call is of of surprise and wow, or, oh, he's out and yeah. he's out. What a great tag. What a great throw. And we go to extra innings instead of, oh, and he's out. So we're going to extra innings. So I think you have to give that justice too. Um, I think it comes from uh, just your personal style and, and people that you, when I suddenly at age 22 or 23, decided to do this. Like I said, I looked around at, um, at other broadcasters that guys that I liked and, and, and kind of that fit my style. And so, um, you know, I've never really had like a home run call the the one, the, the one call that I had was the ugly call yeah. <laughs> and that, and that popped out because of a story. Sure. Um, and probably two or three years after I was using it, I, regretted it um to be honest with you because it was like 
and and then I started just using it when it was a big home run, not just any home run. Um, and I even used it when he came back as a brave and, and homered against uh, Miami too. So, um, so no, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think as an announcer, what I try to do is make every call unique because every play is unique. Um, with a Stanton home run, you try to, you have to describe it. Um, is it a, a laser beam to left? Is it a high towering drive to center? Is it an opposite field shot that was 20 feet off the ground? All of those things change, I think, your call and your description. Where does your mind go on a play like that? Um, and, I mean, to stick with that, the, the Stanton play in particular, um, the camera never shows um, him running until he comes down the third baseline and, and is about to score. Um, but your call mentions where he is on the base paths as we see the ball rolling to the outfield wall. Um, yeah. So where it, is your brain to make sure you're hitting all the right points, even if we can't see it? Well, there's a, I think that's a great case of needing to be descriptive in television and, and leaning a little bit on your radio background is that very case. Because you have to remember that the mechanics of baseball on television are very different than any other sport. It's the only sport on television where they, you know, they cut away. They have to follow the ball with different camera cuts. Whereas in other sports, it's one camera that's just following the play. So you have to know that with the ball in the gap, everybody, if you're at home, or, since you're at home, you can't watch like you would if you're at the ballpark. If I'm at the ballpark or if I'm in the dugout um, and the ball's in the gap and the winning runs at first, the first thing I want to see when I see the ball in the gap is find the runner. Where's the runner? Does he have a chance to score? And you're, uh, as an announcer, uh, thinking uh, not back to that play in particular, but a play like it, um, you know, ball's in the gap. You have an idea that the runner got a pretty good jump. You know what kind of speed that runner has. So those are two bits of information that will help you. Once the ball's by the outfielder to the wall, you have to check where the runner is. And then you also you, you check back to see who's picked the ball up and if the relay's coming home uh, or relay's on its way. And then you have to find the third base coach and find out if he's sending the runner. And, and I think in that call or in most calls, I'll incorporate a, a, a third base coach, whether it's they'll send him or if you um, – you know, if it's your third base coach on, on the team that you're broadcasting for and you know his name and fans know his name, you can drop in a, a Perry Hill or whoever is sending the, the runner. Because that's part of the suspense, because people can't see that mm. at that in television, the ball, that shot is probably of the relay throw coming to the shortstop. And in that moment, everybody at home is wondering, are they going to send him? Well, you have to answer that because that all of a sudden brings everybody to the edge of their seat and it brings you to the edge of your uh, edge of your seat. Right? So at that point, usually the camera cut is to the runner around third or a rounding third. Um, that's usually the timing of it. So by then you've uh, you know, the ball's in the gap. Everybody knows that up with the ball is uh, whoever uh, uh, Ozuna, whoever's coming to third, here comes, they're going to send him and all of a sudden it's, it's on yeah. and then the relay throw and then the, and then the play at the plate. So, I mean, physically you're watching a lot of different things, but I think if you work in television, call baseball on television, 
you kind of learn the rhythm of the camera cuts too and, and what they show. But in that case, you're not necessarily watching through the monitor on a bang bang play like that. You're watching the field. How's working with an analyst different in baseball than in basketball or football or any other sport where it's um, still conversational, but a little bit faster um, where you've got the time to tell stories and interact and, and converse in baseball. It's um, it's, I, I think it's all format and it's all timing. I, I think the most uh, regimented is football because it's um, it's play. It's if you're television, it's play. Generally it's replay. It's reset down, snap, play. It's, it's like going like that. And it's a, you know, I worked football this year with Aaron Murray and I've been uh, blessed to work with some really good analysts, uh, Adam Archuleta, Rod Gilmore, a lot of the ESPN guys um, doing college football. And they know, they know they've got 12 to 15 seconds to sum up the play, make their, uh, um, make their comment. And then, you know, quarterbacks taking this. I, I like hearing an analyst talk all the way up to almost the snap and even sometimes the snap um, in television, because now you can see it's third and five on the screen. Um, you don't really need to do too much before the snap other than maybe drop in the, the down and distance um, basketballs. Uh, you know, if it's I, I, again, I like a conversational broadcast, so I like hearing an analyst when the ball's moving around the perimeter telling me about how the zone moves or where the opening is going to be or where the mismatch is or watch for uh, Jones coming off the, the, the stagger screen on the baseline. Um, I, I like that a lot rather than me as an announcer on television talking about the, the players with the ball passing it around the, the perimeter. Um, baseball is different because you, you nailed it. There's more conversation and it's more relaxed and there's more storytelling. You just have to make sure that you are, you have chemistry enough that you know each other's strengths and you know, I like looking at the analysts, whatever sport I do in terms of eye contact uh, during the, the game and during play and whatever. So um, you get a, a, sick, a, a sense of when to stop and when to come back in Um and you get it, you get into a really nice rhythm, I think, in baseball, if, if you've got chemistry with the, the person you're working with. How much do you talk ahead of time um, about things that are on your mind, things you want for that game, or, or do you just kind of let it flow a little bit? Uh, a little of both. I when I had a uh, you know the regular when I was doing major league baseball on a daily basis, especially with uh, Tommy Hutton um, or a guy like Eduardo Perez or even Todd Hollinsworth. We were I, we were homework intensive. We liked going. We were down on the field, and oftentimes it was, "Hey, you go talk to the Phillies pitching coach, Rich Doobie. I'll go talk to um, Mattingly, and then I'll I'll check in on um, Yelich's hamstring." And so by the time you get back up to the booth, um, you trade information. Hey, I found out this. I found out that. Found out that. And then if you're talking to other broadcasters or scouts or people in the booth, oftentimes you're both there for the same conversation. A lot of times you have the same information that, that the other guy does. And I think the key there is if you, if you have the same information as your analyst, you know what he knows, he knows what you know, is that you let each other um, contribute to the story. 
you let each other contribute to the note. You don't, don't hog the, you know, well, you know, I, I talked to Don Manley about the play last night and this happened, or I was visiting with Bruce Bochy and, and Bochy was talking about his, uh, he's going to experiment today and, and let Bumgarner go six and then this, that, and the other, because if your analyst knows, has information on that too, start it, let the analyst finish it. Um, or if the analyst says, uh, has a story or talks about something that you know, and you have a little bit more information to add to it or a stat or something to, to tie a bow on it, do that because it, um, I, I think it adds to the chemistry and, and it, it, it draws, it, you get trust from an analyst that way. You, they'll trust that you aren't going to burn their best stuff, that you will let them be part of the story or you'll let them tell the best part of the story. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, it's funny. I don't like to, on television, I oftentimes, I don't, I don't like to rehearse open and I don't want to know what the analyst is going to say in the open. Sure. Well, oftentimes we'll discuss like an open I did last night with, with Dan uh, Dickow. We kind of discussed, all right, I know we're going to talk about um, uh, McMurray of, of SMU uh, and Jennifer, the point guard of, uh, of Cincinnati. I did not want to know what he said because I wanted to genuinely react uh, on camera during the open to what he said. Um, I find that if you rehearse and you go over every little thing, it just squeezes all the life out of it and squeezes all the spontaneity out of it. And the, and for that matter, the squeezes the fun out of it. Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll talk about, Hey, uh, you know, if there's a story or a controversy or something like that, um, you, you want to, you want to be on the same page, but at the same time, when I do a basketball game with a, uh, a Bob Wenzel or Steve Lapis or a baseball game with uh, Eduardo Perez or someone like that, I have a pretty good idea of what they know and they have a pretty good idea of what I know. And it, a lot of it is the same stuff. So share that information. And, and, and um, as Steve Lavin will say eight times a night, uh, share the sugar on that. So, <laughs> And I say that affectionately, having worked with, <laughs> with Lav. Rich, uh, if people want to find you on uh, social media or if they want to uh, track down a game of yours, uh, how do they find uh, more Rich uh, Waltz in their life? Uh, well, look, uh, on social – I, I do some social media. I'm not a big opinion guy on social media, but I will engage with fans. So just at Rich Waltz on Twitter is my social media outlet. Um and then I'll be doing college basketball for CBS Sports Network and um, not really sure what I'll be doing in the end of March. Uh, and baseball for me right now is an open book. Um, uh, I think I'll be doing some stuff for MLB Network, but uh, I just don't know. So um, you have to, w with what happened to me uh, a year ago, you have to kind of embrace the uncertainty, which I've done and which has led me to some really cool, fun stuff uh, over the last year, year and a half. What's the most fun thing or random thing that's popped up in the last year and a half? Oh boy. It's, um, you know, the M <laughs> NBA, the NBA playoffs on uh, Turner's uh, virtual reality was really fun uh, because I had not had a chance to really do much NBA. And then all of a sudden you're there, you are, uh, you know, watching the warriors and the rockets and doing an NBA playoff game, which is like jumping, wow, jumping at you too. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> Hey, this, this NBA stuff is, is a lot of fun. Um, 
Uh, what other other thing has popped? You know, even this the Facebook uh, games that I did that were produced by MLB Network last year mm. were fun because um, it's a different format. So there were no commercials, and you got to do a lot of cool stuff, long form interviews with managers, coaches, players live uh, during the telecast, um, and you got to work with uh, some terrific analysts uh, around baseball, the uh, Oral Hershiser, Mike Kruko. Uh, people like that. Uh, that was cool too. Um, and I never imagined, you know, you, doors pop open that you just, you didn't really think would pop open and you'll get a call out of the blue about an event or something. And it's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. But I, you know, I'd certainly like to do, um, the goal is, is for me is to get back into uh, major league baseball on a full-time basis. Um, as it was last year, the, the MLB network people were great to me and the, the games that I did, the uh, the Facebook and the showcase games, and and then filling in for the Giants, that was a lot of fun too. So, I get look, and the bottom line is this: we get paid to go to games. Yep. So whether you're whether it's a big game, or whether it's an NBA playoff game, or a major league uh, baseball game, or it's a uh, you know a mid-major basketball game in the snow somewhere, um, you have to, I think, walk into that arena or stadium or ballpark and look around and just realize you're getting paid to go to a game. You're getting paid to work at a game. And that's when you start out, you know, for everyone that's listening to this, most of you have started out in small places at, at, you know, small venues, programs, players you've never heard of, not much money. You're hoping that they, they put a pizza or some hot dogs in the press room for dinner. So, um, you, I think you have to keep that in mind wherever you go and, and whatever you do. All right, that's Rich Waltz joining us here on Play by Playcast. Primed and ready for baseball. Uh, I'll let you know how my first game goes on Tuesday next week, or I guess on this podcast uh, next Friday next week. When our guest, I haven't taped it yet, hopefully will be Robert Lee from ESPN. He's in Cleveland doing the Mac men's final, uh, so hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down and uh, chat it out a little bit before uh, the weekend is out, and before next week's episode, it comes out as well. If it's not Robert, then we didn't get a chance to do that. <laughs> and uh, we'll find out who the guest is. Uh, but until next week, we say so long. This is PXPCast. My name is Joel Godet. Uh, find us on social media. I always forget that. At PXPCast, rate and review the podcast, and now we're out of time. So, we're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.